Tough Love is brought to you by my new book, Love Language. It's my memoir that centres around family, music, food and finding love. It's out now at all good bookstores across Australia and online. Links are in the show notes for you. And for now, enjoy this episode. That's it. (laughs) Hey, it's Linda and we're halfway through season two of Tough Love. There's a lot of shit going on and we thought we'd take a hot minute to catch our breath and share this one-off live show we did at the Sydney Opera House. It was sold out and part of the esteemed All About Women Festival. Fancy shit, right? This show was all about making tough decisions and included a chat with some fascinating friends. Becky Lucas is one of the fucking funniest people around. She's an author and stand-up comedian, and she has her podcast, The Becky and Cam Show, and Kumi Taguchi, a journalist with a global career with the ABC and SBS. She's the host of Insight on SBS, and she's popped up on Tough Love in the past. You'll hear why I feel guilty about everything, how Kumi held on to her dream job and what Becky said to get her banned on Twitter for life. Rest in peace, Twitter, by the way. Plus, make sure you listen through to the end to hear an ultra-special guest who salses her way on stage. This is Tough Love live at the Opera House. Kumi, why don't we start with you and your career and going into making tough decisions, was there a big moment for you where you've had to figure out how to yeah, be direct? Yeah, there was, and it, it sort of mightn't seem big in the context of things, but, yes, as soon as I thought about this, one moment came to mind. So just in terms of context, I've uh, been living in Hong Kong for six years at this stage, um, have a great career there, a wonderful life, loving everything about it, but for many reasons I have to get back to Australia. So... For the past year, I've been trying to get work back in Australia, like applying for jobs, um, doing Zoom interviews, all those sorts of things doesn't happen. So I just make a tough call and come back to Australia. Fast forward about six months or so, re-establishing my career here. I've been freelancing all over the place and um, I'm given a six-month contract for anyone who freelances or is trying to get their careers going again. It's just this gold. SBS gives me this six-month contract to work in their newsroom for six months, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I know how much money I'm going to get every fortnight. I can pay my rent. This is all so great. About three weeks into that contract, by the way, the person who got that contract for me bent over backwards to make it happen. Three weeks into that contract, I get a call from the ABC and I get this dream job that I'd been applying for for like three or four years and really pushing it hard in that final year in Hong Kong. And they give me a call and they say, the job's yours. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, that's the job I want. But in order to take that job, I would have to then go back to these people who'd done everything in their power and say, oh, by the way, thanks for that opportunity and thanks for bending over backwards, thanks for giving me the six-month contract when I desperately needed it, but I'm out, like I'm going. And I remember going for a run where I was living at the time in this beautiful countryside and I just thought, what 
what do I do with this? What decision do I have to make? And I knew what I had to do because I started crying. I was running along and I was crying and I was sobbing and I just thought I have to say no to my dream job. I have to say no to the ABC. I have to tell them that thanks but no thanks because I just felt like morally, ethically to sort of turn down that other, to sort of get out of that other job would have just long-term felt wrong. So I stopped at the top of this hill and I called this guy at the ABC and I was in tears and I just said, I'm so sorry, but this is my dream job, as you know, but I have to say no, I can't do it. And it breaks my heart, but I can't do it. And there was this long pause at the other end of the phone. I was like, oh, my God, I'm done. Like, I'll never get a job there again. (laughs) And he said, do you know what a gentleman's handshake is? I said, yeah. He goes, so what date does your SBS contract end? And I gave him the date. And he goes, that actually makes me just emotional thinking about it now. And he said, um, the job is yours. And he said, <laughs> he said, I'll hold it over for you for five months and one week. And, um, wow. and he said, the job is yours. And it was this, this toughest decision, but I just went, you know what? You kind of make the right decision and everything falls into place. And so I kind of... Finished through the contract of the other job. I finished that well. I said thank you and goodbye to them. Next day I'll rock up at the ABC and I'm just like, oh, there there was a gift in doing the hard thing. Yeah. And then many, many years later when I left the ABC to go to where I am now, I went up, I wrote to that same man and I just said, by the way, remember like 10 years ago when you brought that gesture to me on a plate. I said, I'll never forget that. And it's just one of those really formative moments. So, yeah, that's my that's one of the career tough decisions that really swings to mind. Wow. Totally. And the fact that you acted so morally and really considerately is, you know, that was your reward. It feels like the universe was rewarding you for caring about these two separate people. <laughs> there yeah. is like a reward in learning how to be decisive, right? Mm. There's a Tony Soprano quote that says more <laughs> more is lost from indecision than wrong decision, which is pretty true, except what sometimes... More is lost from indecision than, than wrong, wrong decision. Yeah. But, I mean, there's obviously exceptions. Yeah, but I need to learn that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like me wearing a short dress for this event. Oh, my God. You know what? I did think about that. I was like, it's so hot. I should wear... No. I feel um, really uncomfortable. Yeah, and I did... Sorry for just, these people at the front. Just enjoy it. We're all yeah. about women. Yeah. <laughs> All about it. I'll just show you now. <laughs> Get it done, Becky. Yeah. There's, a few, the there's a few men in the room, my partner included. But I, <laughs> I didn't realise that this, this jumpsuit had these high slits up the sides and they kind of, are, you know, when you sit down... We love it. Oh, no, <laughs> we love it. Don't be coy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Becky, thinking about you and your career, like being a comedian is <laughs> and not an easy... <laughs> it is not easy. Uh, no. I mean, it's easier than being a roofer. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's definitely it's a different type of... It is hard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Was there, like, sliding doors moments for you kind of weaving your way to where you are now? Totally. The whole, whole time you have to be very intuitive because there's no path, yeah. you know. And um, there's this one time, this is probably the best... I feel bad, like you, as you were saying about it, it doesn't feel as important in the context of your mum and everything. But um, so a while ago, this was in 2019, and I was asked to do I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. What? Yeah. (laughs) I know. And um, I said yes because 
you know, I hadn't really been offered that many. It was the most money I'd ever seen in my work. And someone's calling me a celebrity. It felt nice, and (laughs) I have to admit. Um, And I guess, you know, you've got people in charge of you, like your manager and stuff, saying that it's the right thing to do. And I thought I could make it work. So I said yes, and I went along with it. And, um, you know, I was, I'd been fitted for the khaki pants. And, like, I had my Akubra. You had your sunblock. Yeah, had the visas, everything. I was supposed to leave in a week. And then I went uh, on a family holiday with my dad and sisters. And my sister was only 15 at the time, but she... Because I was having doubts. But, again, you just don't want to let people down. You've already said yes. And, yeah. and everyone felt very adult. Like, I still felt like a kid and, like, I couldn't back out of it. And plus I thought I could make it work. Anyway, I was talking to my sister and I, I think kids are so good at being intuitive and mm. knowing what's right because they're not sort of, you know, they, they don't work in the media or they don't really care about how you make money or anything. They're just very vibe-based. <laughs> and um, she said to me, oh, that's... that's and she was the first person to really be honest about it. She was like, oh, that, that doesn't really seem like you. She's like, that showed, and I'm not dissing it. You know, I'll probably be on there in a few years, but um, <laughs> on the way down. I would love to be on there. <laughs> they, like, braid each other's hair and shit. I know, but they also eat buckets of worms and oh, yeah. rhino dick and stuff. So. <laughs> um, but anyway, she said, I don't think that, like, I just don't see you doing that. It's weird. I kind of think you're, you know, you, you're doing all this other, other, other stuff and, mm. And when she said that, I was like, oh, my God, she's so right. Like, what am I doing? Why am I going to South Africa to, like, <laughs> eat worms with, I don't know, some guy that's yeah. <laughs> been accused of rape or something? Like, it's <laughs> like, what, what am I? So I had to make this, like, <laughs> I had to make this call and it was so scary. My, like, my manager was really, really mad at me. I heard from someone else who worked in the office that she kicked a bin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... You know, at least producers, like I really did, I kind of screwed them over a bit. They had to get a replacement. And I did feel bad, but also relief. And then the week that I was supposed to leave mm. for South Africa to do this thing, I got a call and I had been booked to do the Conan O'Brien show, which oh. was like, I was such a big fan of him and I'm one of only a few, a handful of people, Australians to ever do it. I'm the first woman, Australian woman to have done it. And it was the best. It was so, yeah, it was just one of those very clear moments where I had to sort of follow intuition. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so hard. I've been in that position as well where I've said yes to something and there's all these other people that are involved because I'm trying to start unlearn this process of like, Kumi and I have said, you know, like the people-pleasing role of going, oh, how am I going to make this decision? Well, if I, here are the five choices. How is everyone going to get affected if I do these different things instead of actually thinking about the core of what it is that I want to do without thinking about how everybody else will be affected? And then I'll say yes to something here and then I won't be able to say no to it or back out because mm. I'll think about, well, the producers are involved, this other person's been booked for it, this other person's relying on me, my manager's going to be really pissed off. Like it's so hard to not do that, right? I know. It is. And when I was thinking about this like tough decisions thing and tough choices, sometimes I think the toughest choices, especially for women, are the ones where we actually have to just do what we want to do. 
back ourselves. And because they feel so tough, we're thinking of all the people we're letting down. We're thinking of the impact of our decisions of just saying, no, I don't want to do that. Or I don't want to go to that dinner. Or I have to pull out of that talk. Totally. But the hard thing is that then sometimes you make, you do something you really don't want to do and it's great. You, you know, like you, you really learn. From well, I can believe the narrative that I tell myself. So yeah. I'm like, I, I am enjoying this. Totally. Well, I'm meant to be here. And yeah, sometimes pushing yourself and doing something you're not comfortable with is the right decision. And I mean, I guess it's like that, make a decision and make it the right one. You know, how some do you make it. Well, how I don't know. But then, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just contradicted myself. But I guess all you can do is just sort of listen to yourself. And yeah. Yeah. I feel like you've gotten a lot more, like, as we've been friends over the years. And I You're going to say better, weren't you? No, I was going to say, I was going to say a really bad pun, which was something that I'd said to you the other day where I said, I feel like you've become more fun apologetic. Yes. Where you're yes. still really cheeky, but you're way more unapologetic with being decisive and saying no to things. Definitely. And I really look up to that. Thank you. Um, and context-wise, Linda and I probably have around 2,000 hours of voice notes between us through WhatsApp. So we've seen each other's sort of characters develop, particularly over the pandemic, <laughs> over two years. So I think I have got better at that. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I, I feel like there's two parts to it, though. One is making the decision, which might feel uncomfortable. The other is then actually the part that I nearly find the hardest is sitting with that decision and actually just being happy with it. So in sort of iteration 1.2 of Kumi, I would make the hard decision or say no to that thing or reverse something and then feel guilty about that for like two weeks so that I'd sort of be in this sort of dark space of guilt and responsibility and all the people I've let down. So then it got to a point where I thought, okay, if I'm going to make that call and not do that thing or pull out of that thing or say no to that thing, I just have to be happy in myself that I've done it because otherwise there's no there's no kind of reward or there's no lightness around that decision. So mm-hmm. that's probably been the fun apologetic aspect, fun apologetic, whatever word you I made up. I it was yeah. really silly. <laughs> I don't want to use it again. <laughs> um, but you said something interesting then and it was the idea of guilt and feeling that guilt and like we're going to disappoint someone or whether it is saying no to the thing or, you know, moving away from your family and not being there all the time for them. Like you have made a decision to like you don't live near your family. Like yeah. how do you, do you feel I'm guilty? fueled by guilt. <laughs> yeah. My whole life is I feel guilty for everything. Really? But I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's still a decision I, I struggle with that I don't live near my family because I, you know, at the end of the day, like your career isn't going to hold your hand, you know, when you're, <laughs> You're about to die, you know. Your career's not going to make you an omelette and give you a suitcase. (laughs) Well, maybe it will. Maybe I'll reread my tweets as I'm dying and feel really good. (laughs) It's hard to say, but I do. I do struggle. I want you know. I want to be closer to my family, especially as I get older. I think when you're younger, you've got a bit more like this is. I'm the center of the universe, and everything I'm doing is so important. And as I've gotten older, I yeah, I I am sort of struggling with that decision to not Mm. live near them. Yeah. Yeah. But Damn also it. it's pretty good sometimes, I have to admit. Yeah. 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 We get the quality time with them. Yeah, yeah. Call them in. on Monday. Yeah. And- yeah. You get your boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Um, Boundary-wise, I just thought of something that I remember you had kind of done and maybe 
touched on a, a little bit, which is that you've got a boundary around even like giving too much of yourself away in terms of like social media and that sort of people pleasing side of things of going, let's put out content, let's keep peddling this thing. What are your ideas around around that? And that's I mean, sort of a decision. Yeah, to make. that's been a big decision, and and partly because I feel like I actually don't have anything interesting to sh- show or say. Like ultimately, I kind of just go, "Who would want to hear this anyway?" <laughs> and I feel like it's like motivation. Why am I actually posting this? Like, why am I doing this? And it's been really great. I I do feel philosophically actually that there's a there's a lack of mystery now in the world. You know, I I remember. You know, when a magazine came out and I was really saying to Madonna and I was like, oh, look at what Madonna eats for breakfast and you would buy that magazine and you would see that she had toast and there was a bit of butter in the fridge behind her. And, you know, there's like, look at celebrities' rooms. And I love that kind of discovery, self-discovery stuff. So I feel also like I feel like I just know everything about everyone, which is also sanitised. And so just on a personal level, I feel like there's wonderful boundaries now between like the kumi you see right here today has been 100% authentic. I'm saying exactly what I want to say. I'm not You've got two microphones. anything. I've got two yeah. mics. I've had a little cry. So like I feel like I can present myself, a public self, in a very authentic way in a forum but it's partly because I've closed off probably a lot of my private life and I feel very good about that. I, I treasure my private life and um, it's very important to me. It's the core of my life and my career could go, all these things could disappear, but that's actually the most important thing. And putting boundaries around that um, feels to me very, very stable and safe and comfortable. And it means that when I do share, I do participate in things, I kind of share with a a deep authenticity and I feel like maybe people haven't heard that story before or don't know that about Mm. me and and, and I can have actually a much more genuine relationship with people I work with, people I interact with. So I, I feel very comfortable with that. Good decision. That's such a good point. It's also I think a lot of people suffer from that feeling of being seen all the time. Like even the average person I think is, you know, everyone's got cameras and everyone's got you know, like ways they can expose you or whatever. And I think it's um, probably what makes you such a good journalist. I think sometimes when people feel like they're being watched all the time, their opinions get formed very quickly because they want to just say what they think everyone wants to hear. Whereas the fact that you've got that time to actually think about who you are and what you think about the subject is what makes you a considered person. Thanks, Becky. And and that's something I have learnt too is that that people-pleasing side of us can tend to, I've learnt this even doing interviews, is to sort of have an answer for everything. Mm. The older I get, I realise I actually know fuck all. Mm. So um, often now in interviews it's like, so, you know, what do you think about this? And I actually sort of go, oh, you know what, I don't know. I actually don't know what I think about that. Can you leave it with me? And we've had these discussions, haven't we, in terms of yeah. like how to approach certain conversations and and learning to actually say, look, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Can I think about it overnight and get back to you? And that's been a real game yeah. changer for me. More because people should do that. <laughs> I think we should and like we have this kind of tendency to want to fill the space and have an answer and have something great to say and then often I'll hear these words coming out of my mouth and I'll think, is that what I actually, actually think? And having that time and space, and I don't do Twitter, I rarely watch 24-hour news, I kind of really consume just what I want to consume. Mm. I actually feel like I've got more time with my thoughts and more time to formulate 
how I really think about the world so that then what I do say is 100% authentic. I wish more people were like you. <laughs> I want to see it. This so is good. why she's the mentor. Yeah. And this is why I was actually banned off Twitter. Um, <laughs> were you actually? Yeah, for life. What? I've been banned off Twitter for life because I said I'd chop Scott Morrison's head off. <laughs> <laughs> what a shit. What a Sorry. thing to go down different on. Different people. <laughs> people do it differently. And um, yeah. <laughs> well, it was a great Sorry. decision to tweet it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a boundary. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a boundary. <laughs> it is a boundary that was enforced by uh, big tech. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. So you can't even do it with uh, under another name? Yeah. I saw that you had, there was the Twitter up there. That was my, that's one I used to sometimes stalk. It's, it's, oh, yeah. It's gone now. But honestly, like, even having that up there, if they find it, I will get banned again. So, <laughs> really? So please, I'm glad it's off the screen. How scandalous. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, I think on that note, <laughs> we're going to throw it out to you if you've got any questions at all. Just fire your hand. Oh, there's, I saw a really straight one, a straight arm right up there. Hi. Hello. Hi. My name is Emma. My question is for all of you, and it's about Twitter. Given the kind of horrible shit that goes down on Twitter regularly, do you feel that we need to collectively just decide that women should all leave the platform and let's just run away and hide in a safe space? Is there a way we can take control back? Do you think that there's a responsibility on media organisations to better protect their journalists? Should women not be on the platform? What do we do about Twitter? I am basically off it, to be honest. It feels like YouTube comments. Like, you just don't really want to go down that path. You're banned from it. I'm banned, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm basically off it too. I haven't tweeted for years. Um, yeah. So, but in terms of those questions, you know, I, I do like to put, I guess, Twitter in, in context. Um, you know, if you look at the percentage breakdown of how many people actually use Twitter worldwide, it's quite small. I, I do think we sometimes are in danger of... Um, feeling like the platform has more potential weight to it. I'd actually love to just see if people just didn't tweet for a week globally. Mm. Mm. I, I would say that would realise that the platform's not necessarily um, do useful. You, do, you yeah, do you guys tweet? tweet? Do you, you, yeah. No? I think, yeah. I think that's the problem is we've, like, throughout, you know, the entire time we've been human beings, we've had thoughts, people have said stuff. You know, you say yeah. dumb shit at the pub and it's like, blah, blah, like you vent, like human beings need to vent. But that was okay when they were just thoughts that disappeared. Yeah. It's like now we're seeing everyone's crazy unhinged thoughts. Yeah. That they might not even think in 24 hours, like they might have just been feeling hormonal or crazy or drunk or whatever. Yeah. And then you see that and you think it's a representation. And I, I know I love what you said about how it's, it's smaller than what people, like if you went to a football game, I think the active users on Twitter in Australia is 50,000. Which wow. is like, if you went to a football game, that's 50,000 people. And if something happened at the football game, you wouldn't expect that that would, you know, make waves across the nation. Yeah. It's like it happened there. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But for some reason, Twitter, it's only got that many people, but they think it reflects the real world. Yeah. It doesn't. And in terms of your question, you know, organisations doing things to better protect journalists and especially should female journalists not be on oh. there, you know. They're great questions and, and in a sense, probably one of the best things that media organisations, in my view, could do is just say to journalists, just don't be on it. Um, 
in terms of, say, breaking news and stuff, it's really helpful. Like, I've been in that scenario a lot where you're kind of looking at what's happening and, you know, there's been a terrorist attack in Paris and you're kind of trying to get information from BBC and CNN and that's actually quite a good journalistic tool if you're in that particular space. But for the rest of it, um, I actually feel like journalists can actually invest in their profession probably in a better way by not necessarily checking Twitter all the time, by mm. reading long-form articles, by using that time to watch a documentary. Um, that's actually probably the most more totally. quality. You get so much more of a sense of the world when you just talk to people mm. in your community. Um, and things can just blow up so quickly as well. Like someone could tweet now, like, girl in the audience at All About Women suggests we ban female journalists. <laughs> like <laughs> anything can be twisted. It's just, it, it is scary. Yeah. Oh, one more question. Another question here. Oh, at the back. Oh, wait. Oh, I think we're almost running out of time. One more question. Okay, wait. But I should. I haven't even said thank you. I should say thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to Becky. Thank you to Kumi. Oh, (laughs) massive thank you to the Opera House and Flo Mitchell for having us here. Mike Williams, Adair Shepherd. Amelia Chapelo, the producers of this, Ebb, who put paint on my face, Jess, and okay, that's about it. Now, what should we do? Is there, was there one last question? Oh. Hi, um, my question's just for you, Linda. Sorry, Kumi and Becky. Um, I love how in Tough Love you are so honest about the good and the bad parts of the relationships that you kind of took us through, and I'm sure that resonates through the crowd here, but I'm interested how does your mum feel about you sharing maybe some of those other parts of your relationship? Um, my mum's actually here. <laughs> I don't know where she oh. Mum, do you want to, like, this is my mum, Janet. Oh. Do you want to? Yeah, oh, my God, yes. Put the salsa music on. Do you want to come up? Come on. Yeah. Oh. She's actually the star. How do you feel? Oh, wait, we've got a mic. Okay. This is my mum, Janet, in real life. I am real. You are real. Um, So how do you feel about it, you know? About? About everything. About how, about how, about, you know. I'm proud of you, number one. Very proud of you, your decision, everything. And for me, make me happy. If you're happy, I am happy. Simple is that. Do you have any uh, final advice for final being, advice? like, healthy and yes. happy and very, very young? <laughs> no, I won't, I won't say too long. This is not my kind of thing. I have to speak in public. Anyway, stay healthy, uh, <laughs> healthy food and family and, of course, exercise. I love my pie riding on a sunny day and I miss out today, but I'm going dancing <laughs> Because of you, I'm missing out. <laughs> Sorry. But, but Sunday afternoon, salsa dancing, I am going off. <laughs> Three hours. So that's where I'm going. Should we go? Yes, you're all going to come along. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, I think that's about it. Thank you so much. And well done. Yeah, it's been you a pleasure. You look great. Are you welcome?
there you go, our one-off live show at the Sydney Opera House. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll catch you very soon because... Next time on Tough Love. <laughs> I really feel like <laughs> I do love feeling empowered. I have had a terrible time. You know, if you're not in reality, then you can't properly assess the situation and then you can't take action. But... I think there's something very strong in knowing when to also let go. If you like the show, why not support us by rating and leaving a review? Help us connect with more tough cookies like you. And you know I always love hearing from you. If you want to get in touch, you can email me, hellotoughlove at gmail.com, or you can say hello on Instagram at Tough Love Team. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Love you. Ciao, ciao. Hey, it's Linda. Hope you enjoyed that episode of Tough Love. I wanted to let you know that my book, Love Language, is out now. It's a true story about the ways that we show love. It's a memoir that centers around my family, music, food, and falling in and out of love a few times. I also write about people-pleasing, guilt, and perfectionism, and yeah, there's a lot of very juicy scenes in there. So if you like this podcast, then I hope that you'll read the book. It's out now at all good bookstores across Australia. It can be shipped online, overseas, to wherever you are, and if you'd prefer to have the book read aloud to you by me, then you can also get the audiobook. All the links are in the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening.